Welcome back to Welcome back Welcome back Welcome back Welcome back to The Mentors This is Vadim And Sergey And Pumpkin That's right If you're listening for the first time No we're not talking to a vegetable Are pumpkins vegetables? Pumpkin I don't know we're no, we're not talking to a vegetable and or fruit. Pumpkin is Sergey's adorable miniature poodle. We also call it Pumpy, Pumpita, Pumpitadore, Little Pump. Uh, I was fortunate enough to watch her over the weekend while Sergey and his boo were away. Where'd you guys go, Pennsylvania? Yeah, we went to uh, Upper Black Eddy, which Ooh. no one has ever heard of, but it's uh, in the New Hope area on the border of New Jersey on the Delaware River. On the Delaware. We stayed on the Delaware. We stayed right uh, at a bed and breakfast right on the Delaware, swam in the river, which I didn't expect to do. Current was pretty tough, but I am a, an exceptional swimmer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not that great, but um, I can swim. And that's a good. Uh, so I survived. That's a good minimum bar to set for yourself. And I got to watch Pumpkin all weekend and take her out on walks and make sure she ate and pooped. You know all the good stuff that comes with having a pup. But she's so adorable. She really made my weekend uh, complete and happy. I don't know. She just like she. You, Pumpkin, stop humping that pillow. Pumpkin, stop oh, it. Jeez. I don't know. She's just happy all the time. We can learn a lot from animals. We it, can. They're happy with a stick. Yeah. Uh, whereas we find a reason to be not happy about things that should really be elating to us. So learn from Pumpkin. Actually, I think we even did an episode about this. Uh, Pumpkin personifies what we want to be. That's really funny. I don't remember that. But back to this episode. Back? We didn't even start. Well, we didn't even start. Uh, to the episode at hand. If you've listened in the last couple of weeks, you know that about two weeks ago, Vadim and I were invited to attend the Founder Made Discovery Show. It's basically... Uh, a giant showcase of a bunch of consumer startups and brands uh, that converge in New York City. There's like 200 probably brands that all exhibit at this event, and so you get a bunch of free food and and um, you know other type of. There was even CBD products there and stuff. And we were honestly, we were just kind of walking around looking for who's interesting to interview. So they invited us as media partners, which is pretty cool. It's a good way to to be able to attend a conference. Yeah, and we got to conduct these interviews upstairs in the exclusive speakers lounge. That's right. We were oh, found she did tell us not to tell anyone that we they weren't. invited us to the speakers lounge. But yeah, yeah. Oh, if you're listening to this episode, you know that the organizers let us use the speakers lounge, which was a privilege. It was actually pretty cool because we got to meet a couple of awesome people and we're in the works with getting them on the show so stay yeah. tuned there yeah. but that's actually a, a nice little takeaway for you guys if you're let's say a media partner or partnering with any kind of event you can actually get in front of successful people by building relationships with the organizers that's really the best way to do it because obviously they have to have relationships with the people that they're bringing on to speak at the event or to moderate it or to be on the panel or whatever it is and uh, you can get in front of these people too if you have the right relationships with the organizers. So here we are at the Founder Made Discovery Show and I'm walking around kind of just looking at the different booths and stuff and I randomly happened to stop by this booth with just bread. Actually, it was gluten-free bread. Now, I'm not uh, gluten intolerant, is that what we call celiac, right? But I saw this bread, and normally I would keep walking because bread is kind of boring, but I had a piece. I don't know what beckoned me to have a piece. And this guy came up to me, and he started telling me about this bread company that him and his brother started. And Vadim and I are, are really fans of uh, successful sibling partnerships. And also, we've never had anybody on the show that has started a bread company. I don't even know how you go about 
starting a bread company. Well, now I do. But before I met this guy, I didn't know. And it turned out that he was an ex-military guy who actually got into private equity as well. And he he ended up uh, starting this company with his brother who's like this mad scientist who created this amazing gluten-free bread recipe. And they started it completely from scratch. So this episode is for anybody that well, first of all, just wanted to create their own physical product. But obviously, if you're interested in maybe starting a food business in the future or now, tons of takeaways here. But even broadly, for entrepreneurs that want to hear a story about someone that you know had some experience in the space, obviously, as you learned, Tristan, he had experience with food innovation, has been baking since he was a little kid. Clearly, that experience helped set him up for success in this business. But still, there are obstacles along the way. They almost failed about a year in, there was a massive sort of uh, inflection point where the company almost fell apart. Uh, but they also were able to successfully raise money and land on the shelves of some big distributors. So tons of takeaways for how they were able to, in a few short years, build this company to half a million dollars in revenue. So please enjoy our conversation with Tristan Leclerc of Simple Needs. Needs as in K-N-E-A-D-S, just like you would need bread. Check it out. It's a great story. And thank you for listening. And as always, if you enjoy this episode, we ask that at the end of it, you just click share in Google Podcasts or iTunes and send it to at least one friend that you think might benefit from the information that you learned. Back to we really appreciate the it. Mentors. This is Vadim and Sergey. And this is a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite lack of experience, money, or connections. And today we are sitting down at the Consumer Discovery Show by Founder Made, uh, which is a show where there's a ton of really cool brands here, food brands, cosmetics brands, you name it, consumer brands, of course, but true to the name. Um, there's a lot of great entrepreneurs here, but we happen to run into one of the founders of Simple Needs. His name is Tristan Leclerc, and they started this gluten-free bread company out of North Carolina that's been doubling in sales now. His, one of the brothers, that's a, one of the founders, was telling me it's doubling in sales now every quarter. They have distribution all over in Whole Foods. Um, in the south and I'm sure other stores we're going to find out a little bit about how they launched that company and got it off the ground but just on one of the things that your bro was telling me when I was talking to him is that it took two years for you guys to get your first major distribution deal and you know this is a product that I think there's a high need for gluten-free right now there's a lot of demand for that tell us about the the origin story the beginning how did you guys get this thing off the ground what made you even want to start a gluten-free bread company yeah so starting at the beginning uh, my son uh, Shiloh when he was two years old we discovered he was gluten intolerant um, had a bunch of symptoms and they went away immediately once we eliminated it from his diet and then I just kind of went on a search a hunt for good quality gluten-free bread products and there really was nothing on the market um, so I was looking for something that was wholesome whole grain vegan because I'm also a plant-based whole foods plant-based diet and it just there was a huge lack. So I have a background in chemistry and also food, um, you know, innovation. So I put those two together and came up with my first um, prototype, um, which was just for my family originally. But um, then we um, started sharing the product with other, you know, gluten-free families and then selling it in a nature pass practice. And uh, the people went nuts. So I actually roped my brother, who you mentioned, Devont, uh, into the into the scheme, um, he was a marine pilot flying um, Harriers, and um, he was thinking about getting out of the Marines. And uh, he had a business background, so I thought, well, let's see if he'll want to do it with me. So I sent him some bread. He's like, let's do this. <laughs> Interesting. So clearly, this started from a personal 
pain and problem that you observed and maybe some traction generally in the market that these types of products were having. But you, you mentioned that you have a food background and I guess a business background as well, food innovation. Talk about that a little bit. What was your background specifically and why do you think that positioned you to start this company and have a higher chance of success at getting it off the ground? Sure. So, you know, I actually come from a, I have a really interesting heritage, if you will. Um, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, which we are vegetarian as a people. And uh, my great-grandmother was a food innovator, um, wrote a book, cookbook in like the 50s called Oats, Peas, Beans, and Barley. (laughs) So I grew up in the culture of innovating food, um, just in my home, my family. And then on top of that, I went and studied in, in Napa Valley, California, and there worked in restaurants and got really exposed to, you know, fine cuisine and really good stuff. And then I went and studied French culture and food in, in France, and uh, there also kind of got exposed to, you know, good sourdough breads and that kind of thing. So I knew what was the target was. I had a lot of experience. I started baking when I was like five. Hmm. Um, and, and then, again, I studied chemistry as well as French in college. So, you know, just the two of those combined. And then I was actually working, my stepfather is a naturopathic doctor mm. and a chiropractor, Dr. Jim Saeed, um, in Oregon. And he, um, I was working with him to help his patients come up with meal plans that were panallergic. They, they literally would, like, become allergic to foods that weren't normally allergens. Um, they just, sensitivities, they had sensitivities to foods. It, it would cause inflammation. So I would have to like alter their ingredients and have a really limited number of ingredients to work with. So I learned a lot of innovation just by working with him and working under his tutelage as well. Hmm. So those two combined. And then when my, when I discovered my son had a, and a sensitivity, it was, it was, um, I just used that, that experience. So how do you go then from making bread for your family and loved ones, gluten-free bread to then identifying this as a business opportunity. What was the first sign to you that this is worth putting in the next 10, 15 years of your life for and blood, sweat, and tears? Yeah, so, you know, again, the patients that the doctor was seeing were, many of them were improving their life and lifestyles and their their health by cutting out gluten, that one nutrient, interestingly enough. They weren't all celiacs, but they all somehow got benefit from that. So I kind of saw a trend in a microcosm there. Um, and then I'll, them being gluten-free, trying the product, were going bananas. Some of them were driving an hour to his practice when they didn't have an appointment just because they knew I was bringing bread in that day. And I would sell out like the day I'd bring it in every single time. So I knew that there was the market, and I knew that we would crush the competition. Okay, so you identify the market. You see that there's a lot of demand. There's pull happening in the market, which, hey, if I saw that, I would probably want to try it out too. So then how do you go to actually making this more of a professional operation? Because your brother was telling me that um, to build out the facility and everything, I think you guys had to raise a quarter of a million dollars. That's a pretty big risk to take. How did you guys uh, de-risk that for your investors and even find that first capital to do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, thankfully, we had, I, have, I had a lot of good contacts. One of our biggest investors was actually somebody I'd helped with their health at the health retreat. They'd come in. And so they just believed in me. They believed in my innovation. And they knew my stick-with-itness and willingness to, like, make it work no matter what. Um, so they knew me personally. And also my family helped as well. My, my, my parents actually invested. And my brother had some contacts. And so it was kind of friends and family, that first, that first pool of investors. It's friends and family, people that believed in us and really were investing in, in me and, and my ability to innovate. 
And then what did you do to – you said that in the beginning you went after folks that are in your network, people that are generally interested in this, uh, but then how did you grow beyond that? What was the customer acquisition strategy from the very beginning, like after you invested the money to be able to handle the uh, production side of things? You mean to further raises? Uh, no. So after you raised the money, you guys had the facility going. How were you guys doing the sales? What was your primary yeah. channel? Right. Initially, it was we launched e-commerce. It was one of the first platforms. We started on Amazon. We pulled back off and created our own since then. So started on e-commerce, and then we, PFG is a food service distribution company, literally walked in our door of our plant like while I was innovating, and uh, were like trying to sell us product hmm. and uh, like ingredients. And I was like, flipped it around, <laughs> flipped it around on the salesman and ended up getting in their warehouse through that. So that was actually some of our first food service sales through them. But then we got into the first co-op, which was in the same town as we founded in. And that was kind of a no-brainer. Hit it off real cool with the, the general manager there. And then from there, we got into a Weaver Street co-op, which is a big co-op in, in North Carolina. And then um, it just kind of grew from there. It was, it was kind of grassroots. We went into small little boutiques. To begin with, and then we landed a deal with Lowe's Foods, which is a local grocer in North Carolina. So that was our big retail pitch and, and, and success. We got into most of their stores. We were doing DSD, direct-to-store delivery. So we got to as many stores as we could get to with them, uh, which was quite a few, about 100. Hmm. And that was like our first big push. And then from there, we went after Whole Foods. And interesting little story. When, when I was first founding, before I even had a brand name, I just had the product, I went around to all the Whole Foods and gave it to their bakery managers and to their store managers and um, didn't have a name or anything. Mm. And they saw us at a food show um, years later. We'd already found we had a brand and everything. Like I think it was three years later. And those store managers, we'd, we were trying to get in through corporate and um, we were getting traction. Mm. And those store managers were like, where have you guys been for three years? We've been wanting this product. They really loved the product. Mm. And so they actually, you know, worked with us and helped us, you know, get relationships with the buyer, the big buyer uh, for Whole Foods in our region. And um, we got in the we got in the door that way. Wow. Your brother was telling me how you guys had been meeting these people at um, food shows and stuff and you still had to chase them for two years, even though they were interested yeah. to close that initial deal. And he was saying how you guys kept yourself going by, you know, selling at these co-ops and some of the smaller uh, footprint type of stores and you saw the demand. Where, what level did you have to be at from a, a sophistication of production capacity and everything else to be able to close that deal with Whole Foods? And, and what was the initial distribution like with them? Yeah, so interestingly enough, um, this was all during the period of time when they were doing the acquisition with uh, Amazon, but without anybody knowing yet. So there, were, there was a little bit of – we, st- we kind of got grandfathered in through the local buy. Mm-hmm. So it was a little easier in those, in those days. So – we there wasn't a lot they didn't ask a lot of questions because it was just a local product and they were going to put it in their local stores um it wasn't a huge risk for them so we didn't you know they didn't ask us that thankfully i think we we lucked out on that one so okay so you guys had you know a gluten-free bread product at a time where that's starting to become a trend i'm sure there's competition on the shelves Yet, your brother told me that you guys have, um, you know, a ton of throughput, I think like 100 units a week or something. I don't know what the, what the yeah. benchmarks the are, store, yeah. but I guess that's a good, that's a good volume. Mm-hmm. How do you compete with other people on the shelves, and why do you think your product did better? Yeah, absolutely. So, the, our going in position was, look, nobody likes buying bread in the freezer, right? It's like a hard brick. No one wants that. So, um, 
you know, like break off a slice and stick it in a toaster. And we, we wanted to offer fresh bread to people. Um, and that's kind of the way we've been, we've been rolling out as we've expanded. But so going into that, we got put on the bread wall with the rest of the bread. Um, and they would call us out like gluten-free with a little tag or like local product. So that helped a little bit with the, you know, shelf call outs, um, shelf talkers, but people I think just like to buy their bread fresh, right? Even gluten-free people, they want to buy their bread in the same place everybody else buys so their bread. So most gluten-free bread is frozen? Yeah, most gluten-free bread is sold frozen. That trend is changing a little bit now, but we were kind of one of the first to be on the bread wall. How are you able to do that? How do you keep it fresh and, and get it to the stores directly when no one else can, the big guys can't? Yeah, so we took we took a risk and we, we guaranteed sale. So we believed that the product was going to sell and we just went into Whole Foods and said, look, we'll guarantee sale. We turn a product. What does that mean, guarantee sale? It means that if uh, I bring in product, if it doesn't sell within its shelf life, I buy it back. Okay, mm-hmm. I got it. So we, we eat all the cost of spillage. Wow. That's what they call it. Yeah. So it sounds like you have sort of stick in your DNA and uh, you were able to raise some money around it because people that know you trust that you'll deliver. And clearly you've been able to build this company over the last five years. But talk about a time when things got hard because – Every single entrepreneurial journey is not straightforward. I mean, look, you mentioned in the pre-interview that uh, you have a very supportive wife, but even she's getting sick of it. And, you know, my brother and I, we do this podcast, we get sick of each other, that's for sure. (laughs) But talk about maybe a time that was difficult for you in the evolution of this company where maybe you wanted to give up, but then somehow you persevered and how were you able to do that? Yeah. So it was in the beginning when we first got our bakery facility. So I was selling originally baking from my home kitchen in Oregon. And we, we, I didn't tell that story, but we moved to North Carolina, Hmm. uh, moved the business to North Carolina from Oregon because we felt like we wanted to be first, best and different and get started in an environment that was, you know, low cost in living and low cost in doing business. Um, and, and also had all of the, um, healthy-mindedness that you find in the West. And we found that the RTP, the Research Triangle Park in North Carolina near Raleigh, had all of that. Um, so we took advantage of that, moved everybody there, and um, set up shop in this where we founded our first bakery there hmm. and got our first commercial equipment and started you know, experimenting with it. So at that point, my recipe wasn't scaling, hmm. and it was terrifying. Um, we'd already raised the money. We already spent some of, quite a bit of it on the, the equipment and um, committed to the lease for the building and everything. And um, it was just it was catastrophically failing every time we just try to scale it up. So I and there was there was variables. I'm not going to get on the details of it, but there were variables that we weren't identifying that were causing this to happen that, that, that had changed when when I wasn't in the in the production process or in the production process okay. in the production process I can't talk too much about it because okay. it's proprietary but IP. yeah sure yeah. sure but um, suffice it to say it was scary enough and totally random it seemed enough that I didn't think we could do this and I spent three and a half months I was sleeping in the bakery I mean the thing about it is is when you do you know process iteration there's like a 10 hour window to get a yes or a no. Right. So like, you know, you have to bake a, bake a, you know, you would, you would think, okay, I'm going to try to identify this as the variable and then, you know, make your tests two or three of them in a row and then see it 10 hour, 10, 12 hours later because they're an hour apart. So, and then you have to reassess and, you know, reanalyze and say, no, that wasn't it. I got to try this thing. And hmm. so, 
like the the lead time on bread is so long that it's just it's very hard to innovate and this is not something that's being done right now you know 100% whole grain um, vegan gluten-free bread that's sourdough it doesn't exist so there's nobody I can go to like get advice from mm-hmm. um, we, we literally you know rebuilt the wheel Wow so that was really 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 frightening but we had a, I had a breakthrough breakthrough about three months into it and Thankfully, we're, we got it to work. Well, yeah, your brother was telling me how you're a, a food scientist genius and you were able to figure it out. And it sounds like you guys are a, a killer team, too, because while you were sitting there in your lab, right, trying to figure out how to make this bread work, and I tried it, by the way, it tastes very good. It tastes just like any normal sourdough bread, if not better. And it actually even looks like it, too. Apparently, the, the kind of the bubbles that bread have has a lot of people told you that it's impossible to make it look like that, like real bed, but somehow you figured it out. So I'm sure that's part of your success, but it also sounds like the team as well. Your brother was knocking on doors, trying to get deals. Sounds like you were probably trying to do the same thing as well, but you were also really innovating in the product, and that's why you, were, you guys were able to, uh, to get it to where it is today. So um, where are you guys as far as sales, if you can talk about that, or how many stores or locations you guys are in right now? Yeah, yeah so we're in about, um, I think about 150 right now which includes all the Whole Foods in North and South Carolina and Georgia and also Eastern Tennessee. Um, we're in Earth Fair and all those places as well, and we're in the Lowe's Foods, so those three are the bigger. And then we're in all the NCG co-ops, you know, um, National Co-op Grocers, I think that's what it stands for. Very cool. Um, and so our sales, our sales are about, we're, we're at about a half a million right now. Okay, half a million in sales. You guys have raised um, a little, I think, about eight hundred thousand or nine hundred thousand, or somewhere so. in those, ballpark. somewhere around there. Awesome. Well, uh, really excited to hear your story. It sounds like you guys are well on your way to blowing this up, uh, and people can find you obviously in those locations that you mentioned, but also uh, online. Right? Sim- is it simpleneeds.com? Simple needs, needs like needing bread. K N E A D S. That's right. Awesome. Uh, Tristan Leclerc, thank you so much for coming on the Mentors. It's my pleasure. Thank you.